0: Hello and welcome to The Pastcast, I'm Callum Henderson. Coming up on this week's episode...
1: What it did teach us, having to use the authentic materials and tools, is that your world really slows down to a different
0: pace. Behind the scenes at Butzer Ancient Farm and the fascinating world of experimental archaeology. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is brought to you by The Past a brand new website that brings together the most exciting stories and the very best writing from the realms of archaeology, history, heritage, and the ancient world. You can subscribe to The Past today for just 7 99 a month by visiting our website at the-past.com forward slash subscribe. Now, nestled in the Hampshire South Downs is an experimental archaeology centre called Butzer Ancient Farm. Established in 1972, its staff specialise in exploring the past By engaging with ancient tools and building techniques. My sometime past-cast colleague, Carly Hiltz, visited the site earlier this year, writing up her thoughts in Current Archaeology magazine. She was there partly to check out Butzer's latest creation, a reconstructed house dating from the Neolithic age, a period of history when hunter-gatherer communities are believed to have settled down to farm the land, domesticate animals, and create lasting homes all practices that Butzer replicates with extreme care and attention to detail. More recently, one of Butzer's resident archaeologists, Claire Walton, has written for Current Archaeology about life behind the scenes and the construction of the house. I caught up with Claire to discuss this in more detail, as well as the various challenges faced by experimental archaeologists, including everything from the weather to the coronavirus pandemic. Claire, I just want to ask, to begin with, if you're feeling well today.
1: Am I well? Yes, I'm very well. Yeah, very well. In fighting, um, fighting
0: fit. Very good. Um, well, as we know, um Butser Ancient Farm is celebrating its fiftieth birthday next year. I just wondered to begin with, if you could tell me a bit about the history of the farm and um what it is that goes on there on a daily basis.
1: Well, Butzer Ancient Farm began conceptually, you might say, in nineteen seventy. Um and it actually became a physical reality in 1972. Uh, it was basically a, a research project, to investigate life in the Iron Age. Um, and by that, I mean agriculture and animal husbandry, mainly because the first director, Peter Reynolds, and I love the, the way that he puts this. Uh, and it's so very true that historic at the time, of, of in the late 60s, um, I think there was still a widely held view that the Romans had sort of brought the gift of civilization to Britain in AD 43. And so I think Peter Reynolds' remit at first, he was so determined to disprove this, and through his experimental work that he would be able to support a far more clear argument for Iron Age people really being pretty sophisticated and civilised themselves. So the farm began with uh, the construction of some buildings, and the main thing was the fields of crops which Peter Reynolds was growing, monitoring and harvesting and using to feed livestock and to create surplus that you could use to sow more fields. And by recording the amount of surplus, it gives you some indication of what kind of exchange or barter mechanisms might be taking place in the Iron Age.
0: We've covered recently in Current Archaeology that um, the latest addition to the farm is this, it's a reconstructed Neolithic house, I think, based on remains of a 6,000-year-old structure excavated by Wessex Archaeology in Horton. Uh, Do you want to tell me a bit more about this house?
1: Yeah, so when we, so I I think I mentioned this in an article recently in Current Archaeology that we had some particularly bad weather uh, towards the end of 2019. And there's both that sinking feeling when you come into work, but also the kind of excitement of realising that the building has got something wrong with it because it's been a really (laughs) bad storm. Uh but also that can only mean one thing, that it's, if it's beyond repair, you've got to you've got to build something new. And that's always an exciting premise for um, you know, having a really good look through other people's research to find a building that perhaps has some question marks about. Um and for us the choice of what's now called Horton, the Horton House, it's Horton 2, um, the choice of one of the buildings from that excavation which took place just near Heathrow Airport. Um really interesting because it's such a huge structure it's 15 meters long by seven and a half meters wide that's pretty massive but the the oddest thing about that whole excavation is that the archaeology was very clear that there were only six post holes um there were something that could have been arguably slot and trench uh foundations around the building but just those six post holes so from a sort of structure engineering perspective that in itself was really as exciting as an experiment to try to demonstrate that it was a a roofed building so that's that's really how we came to select that evidence over a number of other possibilities just because of this you know real challenge it it posed for us
0: and I, i was fascinated to read that um it was it did prove quite challenging especially with in terms of the the roof structure and stuff and that you had to do quite a bit of interpretation is that right
1: yeah, well, every building that we construct at Butser, arguably, is just an interpretation. And and I think Peter Reynolds was always keen to stress this too, that um, there could be a number of possible interpretations. So I'm um, completely honest, and I say that what we constructed in terms of the Horton House is just one interpretation. And we looked at a number of possibilities. So originally, we would have started out with vertical walls and a roof on the top, it's a sort of Tried and tested method, and we realized that we would have been building an extremely tall building you know in, in excess of eight and a half nine meters high if it had a roof and walls as well so one of our solutions and in in the end interpretation we chose was not just to have short like dwarf walls but to have no walls and to make the roof actually the walls as well and in that way, you create a really strong structure because the roof is earth fast. So it's not mm-hmm. going anywhere. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, as I'm highly aware, Butler Ancient Farm is open to the public. So we can't build experiments which are crazy twigs tied together, uh, which might blow over in the first breeze. <laughs> We've got to build things that are a good interpretation, which match all the evidence, but also present um, a safe interpretation that visitors can use and access regardless of of the weather and without fear <laughs> and obviously <laughs> you know, meeting a number of 21st century health and safety requirements so that was the why we chose the interpretation that we've just completed
0: and you also you have a sort of rule where you stick to the materials and the tools that would have been available to people at the time was that quite difficult was there a sort of feeling that oh my i could just do with a saw or something right now or a crane well, or something?
1: of course there's always there's an, always an element of that but actually what it did teach us, having to use uh, the authentic materials and tools, is that your world really slows down to a different pace. I think it's challenging when you're in the office one day where you're eating your lunch, also typing an email, maybe also answering the telephone, and maybe somebody in the background says something like, "A goat's escaped, can you come and help catch it?" But when you're outside on the site, just working on this the construction of this building, you, the whole world slows down really fascinating and um anybody who who's done this for a living all their life will say it sounds very patronizing for me to say this, but it was really mindful just mm-hmm. doing a practical mm-hmm. competitive task for a long period of time, often on your own where it's nice and quiet um so I found it hugely enjoyable, of course, when you have some uh time constraints like we're opening next week uh, um have you finished yet that mm-hmm. changes the picture a little, but overall, I'd say it was um really fascinating engaging with all those techniques and materials in the way that we did
0: um just out of interest how long did it take to construct the house from sort of beginning to end
1: longer than it should have done
0: longer than it should have done do you know <laughs> well, what to say
1: yeah we originally <laughs> you've never heard anyone say that about a building project before have you um, yeah no, true. no it, it was supposed to be about a four and a half month project and i think that if we'd gone hammer and tongs that we could have got there but of course we hadn't expected That there would be a lockdown between the end of March and somewhere in the middle of the summer. And that really uh, had a massive impact because many of us were furloughed. So, in the end, we started in December 2019 and completed the project in its entirety for March of this year. But that was all the finishing touches as well. But it it did take a lot longer than we'd expected.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, I haven't asked at all about the animals. I mean, you have animals on the farm as well. Is that right?
1: Yes, we do. Um, Lovely. Currently, we've got. Uh, Manx Lochten sheep, which look brown, uh, not woolly like normal sheep, they look, look quite leggy and sometimes children ask if they're goats. It's easier to, to um, see why they might be confused because they're quite leggy, more slender, far less um, woolly looking and quite often they've got amazing horns. Some of the Manx Lochten rams have up to six horns, they, they look quite startling. And they're really the closest thing that we can get to Iron Age sheep. Um, we've also got what are called English goats, which are mm-hmm. another rare breed of animal who are delightful even when they do occasionally escape. <laughs> um, and finally, we've just had a new some new arrivals. We've got four pigs um, and they're absolutely beautiful.
0: Yeah, I mean, we've covered this a bit already. Obviously the pandemic had a big impact is that was that the biggest challenge in terms of sort of day-to-day management of the farm is the weather the uh, famously unpredictable English weather does that have an impact as well
1: well it sure does because of course whenever I'm at home in my 21st century house and there's a storm or some really bad weather I always think I wonder what I'm going to find when I get into work tomorrow mm-hmm. and I think I referred back to our old Neolithic house um, which had some you know irreparable damage mm-hmm. caused by really poor weather in 2019 but it You know, in years past, the porch has been ripped off another building. Um, It's quite often thatch that gets pulled off. So modern thatched houses have it wired on and, and it's much thicker and it's designed to last up to 50 years. But on our houses, one of the things that we discovered is that by not having a hole in the roof, you... Don't create a sort of draw, so your fire inside your house uh, is a much more manageable fire. But of course, the smoke has to dissipate somehow, and it does that by percolating out through the thatch. So you can't have really, really thick thatch because then the smoke can't escape. So we've kind of created this perfect ratio of amount of thatch required to keep you dry, but also allow the smoke to get out. But of course, that makes it a bit easier over time for weather to you know, get at that thatch and potentially rip it out. So That does have a massive bearing on on what goes on at the farm. The maintenance of the structures is an an endless and ongoing task, but it does give you an insight into what life must have been like in the past. People would have just been working on the buildings all the time.
0: Moving on, um, because of the lockdown, you obviously can uh, um, accept any visitors to the farm, um, but you did launch a website, I think it's called Butzer Plus. Um, Can you tell me a bit more about what visitors can find if they go in there?
1: Yes, the Buster Plus was a pretty bold and exciting initiative, uh, which we came up as a response to the pandemic, um, in the sense that should we have to shut to the public again, there would be uh, some way of people to engage with us and for us to communicate to the outside world some of the work that we do. And the idea really is to record what you might call behind-the-scenes footage of work that we do at the farm. Um, But it's also an amazing platform for us to be able to show people Showcase some of our finished work and the value of what we do and the value to a different number of audiences. So, at the moment, we're currently working with Operation Nightingale, which is a rehabilitation through heritage and archaeology for medically discharged uh, military veterans. Um, And we've recorded that, for example. Uh, And it's a really lovely way of documenting people's engagement with archaeology and just creating a fascinating stories uh, and giving people more of an insight into how we bring the past to life. Um, and what I've loved about Butser Plus is that although I know the farm so intimately myself, there's still something new to learn on every video that I watch. Uh, I learn something new and I'm really surprised by which videos are my favourites because they aren't necessarily the ones that I thought they might have been. The ones I have particularly enjoyed have been watching. Uh Darren Hammerton, who is our professional treewright, he's a um like a medieval carpenter. He constructed the Saxon houses on the site, but I particularly enjoyed watching and just doing something well it's very simple but it's also extremely you know you need to be very skilled so splitting out huge tree trunks mm-hmm. to make planking from, I just found that beautiful craft so fascinating to watch, and he does it with such a it's lovely um so it's been really amazing to be involved and they're beautiful to watch so I really encourage everybody to go onto our website and and have a look um and consider signing up because I think it's a fascinating insight
0: yeah I mean it's true um uh, what's been said that on the website there's some sort of information about how places like Butser and you know natural outdoor places can be very calming as you said already it can be calming to work there have you found the visitors have said the same kind of thing that they find it a refreshing experience for mental health
1: yeah definitely so amazingly although the farm is really only a few hundred meters from the a3 it's incredibly quiet and the view in every direction from the farm is beautiful Um, and i often have to stop myself to just have a moment and look around because it's so lovely um but the other thing that's quite remarkable is that the car park can be filled with cars and you think gosh it's really busy it is but you can't see those people when you're on site it just seems that um you can disappear into a building or go around the corner or wander over to the corner of the site and you'll be alone and I think that's really lovely for for anybody but maybe people who are live in a town or a city to be able to come somewhere in the countryside and have such fine views but also be able to have that fun and really, truly unique experience of immersing themselves in the past, somewhere in the past, um, just for a few moments, probably alone, uh, while looking at a fabulous view. Uh, I think it's totally unique.
0: I mean, but sir, you're not, you're obviously not just building the houses for visitors, you're actually measuring them over time and seeing how they develop or, or not develop or sort of run right away. away. Um, and this is all part of experimental archaeology. Can you just give me an idea of what kind of things this teaches you when you're actually on a physical site as over several years?
1: So Peter Reynolds, I refer back to the, the first director mm-hmm. of the farm. Peter Reynolds delighted in showing that people would look at a post hole, a single post hole, and say, oh, it must have been something structurally very important. But he took great pleasure in showing that something that people were convinced had to be a structural element. It could have been something completely different and really... Um, not hugely consequential at all. So his example was often a single post hole and it was actually just, and it had a sort of wear mark all the way around the circumference of this post. And he demonstrated that if you tether a goat to it, it will create that wear track. Even a chicken tethered would create that same wear. Um, It could serve as a a, a hay rack for stacking hay against. Um, It could have so many functions, none of them which were structurally related to the building. So I think uh, it's not necessarily the best example, but it, it demonstrates that at Butser Ancient Farm, we try to provide further insight into what what excavated features might actually be. There could be several possible reasons for that feature. Um, and of course, when you're digging in the field, you're digging down into the ground. But what we do at Butser is try to extrapolate from the stuff in the ground what was above ground. Um, And there is no better way of having the opportunity to stand and scratch your head and think what comes next when you're actually building it in the round. Um, And that's where some of the best conversations about what the building might have looked like come from that, that opportunity to do it in physical reality. But of course, what we do in addition over time is record what happens to the building through the span of its life. And that. We can feed back into archaeological excavation by being able to say that after 10 years, for example, we noticed that the building sagged on this side. We think it was the weight of the roof. And as a result, a consequence would be that the post holes in the ground might change shape or that there might be traces of walling material as the wall decayed. And you'd be able to see that in the archaeological evidence. So I guess we just continually, it's like a feedback loop into archaeological excavation. To help support their own interpretive process. So, we work ideally, you'd work with each other. And that's really what we tried to do when we worked with Wessex Archaeology on the Horton House, is use their expertise to help um, further develop what we build and what we would monitor and record to help them in the future interpret what they're finding in the ground.
0: Okay, well, thank you, Claire. I think that's a good place to leave it. Thanks very much for joining me today.
1: That's right. You're you're very welcome. It's nice to talk to you, Callum.
0: <laughs> Thanks very much again, Claire. You can read her article on the construction of the Neolithic house at Butzer in the latest issue of Current Archaeology, as well as online at the Past website. We'll be looking at some more experimental archaeology sites in the coming weeks, so do stay tuned. And as Claire said, make sure to check out Butzer Plus. There's lots of fascinating content up there, and it does provide a very satisfying experience for those such as myself who haven't yet visited the farm in person. There's a link to the site in the episode's description. That's all for this week. Thanks again to Claire for joining me. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider subscribing to us and sharing it around. The Passcast is available every week on Spotify, Anchor, and from wherever else that you get your podcasts. We hope you'll join us again soon.